We are, like Pastor Aaron said, back in 2 Samuel chapter 19. We are standing today at the threshold of a new year, aren't we? And you know, it's easy for us to feel all sorts of different emotions as we approach a, a new year. Uh, some people are optimistic about the coming new year. Other people are facing some major challenges in this coming new year, and other people are looking at the year 2024 saying, it's an election year, and I live in a country that's more divided than it's ever been. I'm not looking forward to a new year at all. So the new year has created a lot of different emotions for us all. But one thing we are confident in, and that is that Jesus Christ has already been through every day of this coming year, and he will walk with you and I every step of the way as we progress forward into 2024. He is our good shepherd, and he travels the path before us. Now, I've encountered this message this morning, counting our blessings, counting our blessings. And I believe that as we study this portion of King David's life, we're going to get some practical advice as well through the application of the scriptures that will help us to count our blessings in this coming new year. Someone said, if you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you are more blessed than the million who won't even survive the week. If you've never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, or the pangs of starvation, you're ahead of millions of people around the world. If you attend a church meeting without fear or harassment, without arrest or torture or death, you are more blessed than almost three billion people in this world. If you have food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, a place to sleep, you're richer than over 50% of the population of this planet. If you have money in the bank, money in your wallet, spare change in a dish somewhere, you're among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. If your parents are still married and not divorced, and they're still alive even, you're very rare, especially in the United States. If you can hold up your head with a smile on your face and are truly thankful, then you are truly blessed because many can but don't. If you can hold someone's hand and hug them or touch them on the shoulder, you are blessed because you can offer God's healing touch. If you can read your Bible today, you're more blessed than over 2 billion people in the world who cannot read anything at all. So as we put things into perspective, you and I are truly, truly blessed. And so blessings to you this morning. And in today's lesson, we're going to see examples of choosing to count our blessings rather than our problems. And along the way, we're going to encounter some, what I'm going to call, blessing busters. Those things that we need to watch out for in the coming new year that would seek to rob us of receiving God's blessings for us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that we are here today, that we're able to hear your word and to receive it. And so, Lord, we... We know you want to speak to us. 
Lord, your word is quick, it's powerful, it's alive, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, Lord, allow your word to come and pierce our hearts and our minds. Transform us, Lord. Conform us into the image of Jesus. That's why we're here. Lord, we're here, Lord, to study your word, to be transformed, to be more like Jesus, our Savior, and your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. So we've been in Christmas for the last few weeks, haven't we? Let's kind of review where things are in our book of 2 Samuel. You might remember that there's been a civil war in the kingdom. King David's son, Absalom, has led a rebellion against his own father. David chose, rather than fight his son and the Israelites that were coming against Jerusalem, he chose to flee the city and leave it so there was less bloodshed. He fled out into the wilderness. Then Absalom now has, has um, gained, a, a, gained kind of his forces together, and he has gone out after King David. King David said to his men who were with him there in the wilderness, Okay, whatever you do, spare my son Absalom. See that no one harms him. But David's commander, Joab, ignored David's plea and his concern, and he instead took three spears and he pierced them through Absalom's heart. Not only did it kill Absalom when he pierced Absalom's heart, but it broke David's heart as well. And so we now come upon David, and he is mourning for his son Absalom. The rebellion is over, but David is in deep mourning. And so here we are in verse 1 of chapter 19. And Joab was told, behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for the, all the people. For the people heard it and said that day, the king is grieved for his son. And the people stole back into the city that day as people who are ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face and the king cried out with a loud voice, oh, my son, Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. It's often harder for a parent to lose a child than the other way around, isn't it? And, but being a leader comes with responsibilities. You have to rise above your problems in order to serve the interests of others. It was interesting, a couple of weeks ago, someone asked me, how do you and Pastor Aaron handle it when you're counseling all these people, one after another, and all of the heavy things that you have to deal with and the burdens you have to bear. And, and, and how does God get you through that? And certainly it is something that we need the Lord's uh, blessing. And it's, it's part of the calling on your life, I believe. But I also mentioned something you probably didn't realize to this person was it, it even gets more complicated than that. Because we can be in a counseling appointment with someone who is uh, maybe, you know, talking about the funeral for their, their deceased loved one. Or maybe a counseling appointment with a husband and wife that have just now, in the office, determined they're getting a divorce and one of them bolts out in determination of what they're going to do. 
And then, in a matter of minutes, our next council appointment could be two young lovers ready to get married and ready for their first premarital council appointment, and they are so excited about the wedding that is coming up. And you're talking about a boomerang with your emotions. But you know, the Bible says we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, aren't we? Do you want to live an effective Christian life? Think about that. Do you want to live an effective Christian life? I hope you do. Then you must rise above your pain, your depression, your discouragement, your doubts, your problems, your defeats. You will never be able to live a Christian life unless you rise above those things. That doesn't mean you deny them. It means you rise above them and you reach to the Lord for strength. First Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Philippians 4, 11, not that I speak in regard to need, Paul says, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. It means we need to make a conscious decision. And there are times when we all, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to trust him with our problems and our pain so that we can minister to other people, don't we? Instead of it being a time of celebrating and victory for God's people here in Israel, David's men have snuck back to their tents in shame as if defeated. They don't feel victorious at all. Let's go on in verse 5. Then Joab came into the house of the king and said, Today you have disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life, the life of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives, the lives of your concubines, in that you love your enemies and hate your friends. For you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom have lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. Now, therefore, arise, go out and speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night. And that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. So David is here being mastered by his feelings, isn't he? He's being controlled by his feelings. I like what David Gusick said. He said, when someone is overcome in tragedy or sorrow, the problem is not what they know, but what they have forgotten. That's a good word. And that brings us to what I'm going to call our blessing buster number one. Focusing on what you don't have. If you continue to focus on what you don't have, on what you've lost, on what was, you will rob yourself of every blessing that God wants to bring to you in this coming new year. There's a story about a, a paratrooper that was in class and, and learning to jump out of an airplane. And uh, the instructor said, look, it's really kind of simple. There's just four things you need to remember. The first thing is, when your turn is up, you need to jump out of that airplane.
That's number one. Number two, after you jump out of the airplane, you count to 10, and then you pull the ripcord. Number three, in the unlikely event that the ripcord fails, then pull your second chute. Number four, when you get down to the ground, then wait patiently, and the truck will come to pick you up to take you back to base. So the paratrooper gets in line, and he's ready, and he's there in his place to jump out of the airplane. He jumps out, number one. He's thinking number two, count to 10, counts to 10. He pulls the ripcord. Nothing happens. That's okay, because he remembered number three. Pull the second chute. He pulls it. Nothing happens again. And he thinks to himself, number four, what's number four? Number four, oh, great. I'll bet you that truck isn't even going to be there when I land. <laughs> now, obviously, the paratrooper was focusing on the wrong thing, right? Some of us always see the glass as half empty. David, though, here, he does the right thing at Joab's um, prodding, if you will. Verse 8. <clears throat> Then the king arose and sat in the gate, and they told all the people, saying, There is the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king, for every one of Israel had fled to his tent. So David now has put his sadness aside in order to help minister to the people. And David returns now to Jerusalem. Verse 9, Now all the people were in a dispute throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, has died in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the king? So the people of God are confused now. They don't know what to do. They are obviously uncertain about David's leadership. Not too many days earlier, you remember here in the text, they had just anointed Absalom as their king. But Absalom now is dead, and they have lost respect for David because it appeared that he fled in weakness from his son Absalom. That brings us to blessing buster number two. And that is mistaken desires or loyalties can cause us to miss God's provision. If we mistake our desires and our loyalties and the wrong things, we're going to miss God's provision for our lives. Sometimes we can trust people too much. And this can happen in friendships and relationships. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ because people will always let you down. Give them enough time, they will let you down, won't they? Do you remember the man at the pool of Bethsaida? His story is in John chapter 5. Let's look at that for a moment. It says this in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, Bethsaida, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after stirring the water was made well 
of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there, he knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be made whole? And the man who was sick answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, arise, take up your bed and walk. So Jesus asked this man if he wants to be made well. Think about the situation. The answer to this man's problems, the solution to his perplexities and his pain, the healing that he so desperately sought was standing right in front of him. But he had to take his eyes off of the stirring of the water of the pool and focus then on Jesus in order to receive his blessing. And he makes the decision, obviously, to turn his eyes away from the pool to actually look at this man who has come to speak to him. And many times you and I do the same things. We have mistaken expectations, and they can cause us to miss God's provision that is right there for us to receive and to be blessed by. Verse 11, so King David sent to Zadok and Abathar the priest, saying, speak to the elders of Judah, saying, why are you the last to bring the king back to the house, since the words of all Israel have come to the king to his very house? You are my brethren. You are my bone, my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring the king back? So why are they hesitating? Why are these people of God hesitating as far as wanting David to come back to them into the land of Judah? Well, it's because they've lost confidence in David, and they have just joined with the rebellion of Absalom that has now been quenched and put down. It's been destroyed. And then in verse 13, the, the men go on, and they, it says this, Say to Amasa... Are you not bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh? So this is a message from David. This is David's message to Amasa. Are you not bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh? God do so to me and more also if you are not commander of the army before me continually in the place of Joab. So David tries not to force his way back, but to in encourage the people to invite him back. And this is one of those things that gives us a picture into the heart of, of David because he's so much like Jesus. Jesus is like that as well. He doesn't force his way into our lives. He asks us to respond to his invitation to come in. I like what Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, Jesus declares, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice... And opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. David declares, say to Amasa, he actually singles Amasa out. And he says, I'm going to replace Joab, my commander, with you to be the commander of my forces. Now, Amasa was David's nephew. Joab was also one of David's nephews. So both of them are bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. But Joab has done something 
and he's crossed David. Why? Because he disobeyed David's orders, orders deliberately, and Joab killed his son Absalom. So David has lost confidence in Joab. He's angry with Joab, and he's like, I'm going to sideline him, Amasa, and I'm going to make you commander in his place. He kind of needed Amasa's support because Amasa was the commander of the rebellion, and he had rallied the tribes of Benjamin and Judah who were largely questioning David's leadership. So perhaps this was wise in a political move of David's, but perhaps it was one unwise because this doesn't turn out well for Amasa. Can you imagine Joab and his allies within the forces wanting to submit to the rebel general? That's about as ludicrous as General Grant after the Civil War somehow offending President Lincoln. And Lincoln decides to sideline General Grant and put General Lee in his place. It's just not going to work out well, is it? And it doesn't, but that's a story for another Sunday. And I'll let Pastor Aaron teach you on that. Verse 14. <clears throat> so he swayed David, sways the hearts of all the men of Judah, just as the heart of one man, so that they sent this word to the king. Return you and all your servants. So David's plan of playing politician works at least for the time being. But this brings us to blessing buster number three. Guilt and regret over the past will overshadow gratitude for today's gifts. Guilt and regret over the things of the past, they'll overshadow today's gratitude for today's gifts. And guilt and regret had caused the people to be unwilling and unable to actually recognize their true king. Their true king was David. But because they felt so much regret and guilt over what had happened regarding Absalom, they, they, weren't, they were paralyzed in a place of fear and unable to recognize David is your true king. And it placed them in a, in a place of indecision. Verse 15, then the king returned and came to Jordan, the, and Judah came to Gilgal to go to meet the king, to escort the king across the Jordan. And Shimei, the son of Gura, a Benjamite who was from Berharam hastened and came down with the men of, the, of Judah to meet the King David. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul and his 15 sons and 25 servants with him. And they went over Jordan before the king when then a ferry belt ferry boat rather went across to carry over the king's household and to do what they thought would be good and so here the tribe of Benjamin is not fully behind David and so notice that Shimei is now coming and he is gathered he's obviously a man of great influence he's gathered a thousand men of the tribe of Benjamin to come with him can you imagine the entourage that he has with him, along with his sons and his servants? And so David needs the support of the tribe of, of, of Benjamin. 
And so let's see what happens here in our next verses as David will extend mercy to Shimei. Verse 18, now Shimei, the son of Gerza, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. And then he said to the king, do not let my Lord impute iniquity rather to me or remember what wrong your servant did on that day that my Lord, the king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart for I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Therefore, here I am, the first to come today, of all the house of Joseph to come down to meet my lord, the king. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah, that you should be adversaries to me today? Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Therefore the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king swore to him. So what's going on here? Well, in the book of Exodus, chapter 22, verse 28, it says, you shall not revile God. This is a command from God to his people. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. So God forbids his people to curse the rulers of his people. And Abishai is one of David's mighty men. And he wants to use this commandment to justify killing Shimei because he remember. You might remember he had cursed the Lord's anointed. And quite frankly, Shimei probably should be put to death at this point. But David prevents Abishai. This is interestingly not the first time Abishai wants to kill somebody. And David has to restrain him. You might remember back in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 26... Uh, a time when David and Abishai were together and they came upon King Saul. It says this in verse 20, uh, chapter 26, verse 7 through 9. So David and Abishai came to the people by night. This is when King Saul was alive. And so they snuck into the camp and it says, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, please, let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. And David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? So David is having to restrain Abishai. And notice Shimei says something very profound, I think. You don't see it very often. He makes the declaration very boldly, very honestly, I have sinned. It's just that simple. Wow. I have sinned. He says it right to him. It's the perfect confession. So we see that he's not just spoken it. He's actually put it into action by greeting David with all these men. Obviously, the size of this group has influenced David's decision about forgiving Uh, Shimei as well. Don't miss, though, what's taking place. It's not really clear in our text. But remember, the people had just crowned and anointed Absalom king in Jerusalem. 
So David here is going to be re-coronated with all the men of Israel, the northern kingdom, and the men representative of the southern kingdom that are coming now to Gilgal to anoint, re-anoint, re-coronate David as king. It's a custom in that time that the new king would often pardon his enemies. And so that's what Shimei is doing. He's kind of playing on the custom of the day and hoping for David to pardon him, and it does work. But David is secure in his leadership. Did you notice it where it says, uh, don't you know, for I do know that today I am king over Israel. David is confident in, in his position in the Lord. And so because he's confident and he's secure, it, it helps him not, not to be uh, consumed with, with revenge or regret or guilt over what has happened in the past. Next week, we're going to deal with Sheba and Simei, uh, who have both returned to repent to David. We're reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Once again, we see David kind of as a type of Christ here in the Old Testament. Proverbs 25, 21 says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. So we see that insecurity will stifle our ability to forgive people. When we're insecure about our position, our place, we're going we're gonna to be stifled in our ability to forgive people and it will inflame our desire for revenge. But David wasn't insecure, so he was able to forgive. And that brings us to blessing buster number four, harboring a desire for revenge will always stifle our, our ability to forgive others. It will cause us to ignore the blessings of God, won't it? Could I have the worship team come up as we kind of prepare for communion? And I'd like to, uh, to read you a, kind of a little poetic story, if I could, while they're getting ready. It's entitled, The Most Beautiful Flower. The park bench was deserted I, as I sat down to read beneath the long, straggly branches of an old willow tree. Disillusioned by life with good reason to frown, for the world was intent upon bringing me down. And if that weren't enough to ruin my day, a young boy out of breath approached me, all tired from play. He stood right before me with his head tilted down and said with great excitement, look what I found. In his hand was a flower. What a pitiful sight with its petals all worn. Not out of rain or too little light. Wanting him to take his dead flower and go play, I faked a small smile and then shifted away. But instead of retreating, he sat next to my side and placed the flower to his nose and declared with 
overacted surprise. It sure smells pretty and beautiful too. <clears throat> That's why I picked it here. It's for you. The weed before me was dying or dead. No vibrant colors, orange, yellow, or red. But I knew I must take it or he might never leave. So I reached for the flyer, flower and replied, just what I need. But instead of placing the flower in my hand, he held it midair without reason or plan. It was then that I noticed for the very first time the weed-toting boy could not see. He was blind. I heard my voice quiver, tears shone in the sun, as I thanked him for picking the very best one. You're welcome, he smiled, and then he ran off to play, unaware of the impact he had on my day. I sat there and wondered how he managed to see a self-pitying woman beneath an old willow tree. How did he know of my self-indulged plight? Perhaps from his heart, he'd been blessed with true sight. Through the eyes of a blind child, at last I could see the problem was not with the world. The problem was me. And for all those times I myself had been blind, I vowed to see the beauty in life and appreciate every second that's mine. And then I held that wilted flower up to my nose and breathed in the fragrance of a beautiful rose. And I smiled as I watched that young boy, another weed in his hand, about to change the life of an unexpecting old 